Hello and welcome to another edition of Still Unbelievable. I'm your host, David Johnson, and I'm joined by the other host. And I'm joined by the other host. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I forgot momentarily who I was. Uh, I'm I'm Andrew Knight. Hello and welcome back to Still Unbelievable. And we have someone else in the cake. Third. And I'm Sarah over here in France. And good evening to everyone. Oh, the cake is getting crowded. Um, It's an inside joke. Uh, So today uh, we have not a very laughing matter. We're going to talk about cults. Except we're not really talking about cults. But we are talking about cults. We're talking about our experience of cults. More to the point... Are you in a cult? We were. Let's get started. I want to start with some definitions. uh, Because here's the thing. What we call a cult, you may not. In fact, uh, the three of us are probably going to disagree on what a cult is. Despite the fact that we have a, a high level of agreement, there are going to be some areas where we disagree. This is a very hard term to define. I've been working on this for... A number of years, actually. I, every every now and then, I will write an article uh, about cults just to uh, do the research again and rethink it. It's hard, and it gets harder every time, quite frankly. And part of the problem is that the uh, the word cult, or the idea of a cult, it's a natural pejorative. It is always the thing that someone else is that you are not. And so, people who uh, we might accuse of being in a cult, they would never admit to being a cult. No one is in a cult. If you ask people individually, are you in a cult? No, there are no cults. No such thing as a cult because no one's in a cult. Uh, No one's cult leader. However, if you ask uh, people with regard to other people, then yeah, there are lots of people in cults. So it's it's one of those things where it's really hard to pin down. You can look at dictionary definitions. You can look at uh, Christian uh, articles and blogs, as I have, to to find the definition. It changes. It shifts. It's it's very fluid. Uh, And at the end of the day... I do not have a definition that is so authoritative that you've got to listen to me uh, and that you couldn't disagree with it. Uh, Andrew has been working on these definitions. He might have a more authoritative definition, but we'll get there. So I just want to start with the very generic, uh, anything can be a cult, as in, say, uh, just a, a group of fans of something, you know, a cult of Elvis, uh, or anyone could be, it, it, you know, you might have a cult of personality, you know, the, the people who adore uh, Donald Trump, yeah, say, you know, that, that could be a cult. I want to say up front, I am personally not interested in those generic definitions of cult. I don't care. I am only uh, interested in the definition of cult as it relates to religion. And even that's a pretty slippery eel to nail down, uh, as as you will see, soon see. So, uh, before I jump into my definitions, do either one of you have anything to say about uh, defining cults in general and your your own research and journey through this? All I'd say is I, I echo that uh, the idea that um, people don't realise they are in a cult. I mean, no one does. Everyone's it's, it's somebody else's issue. It's pe- other people who pr- fall prey to it. It's never them. So yeah, as you say, it's uh, people don't often recognise they are in one. And I would say that I probably was in one with hindsight, but at the time, 
totally normal. <laughs> so uh, we'll get into that a bit later. But uh, just uh, agree with you on that point. Andrew, anything you want to agree with me on as, as much as it pains you to do? Well, I might, I might want to just ask that it is, it is very possible because of the number of listeners that this show has and because this show is going to appear in some other podcast feeds uh, that we will probably have listeners who are in a cult. And I think all I would ask is that whether you think you are or not, you have three people hosting this show who know we were in cults in the past. And so I would just ask you to listen patiently all the way through and keep an open mind about whether you are or not. Because if there has been one thing in my life that was hard to do, and I don't know if you guys share this experience, but if there was one thing that was hard for me to do, it was leave the cult I was in. Yeah, it's it, so one of the one of the defining factors of a cult that didn't make my list is that it's extremely hard to get out. It's it's like quitting AOL or Comcast. It's very hard to do. <laughs> so yes, yes. Um, so so listen with an open mind because the world outside of cults is better than the world inside. Yes. In, in fact, I would, I would echo that uh, just by saying of, of all of the people I have personally known who have self-described as having been in a cult and gotten out, and then of all the stories that you read on the internet, uh, various podcasts, the, the people that we have access to now, I have yet to hear a story where someone was more miserable outside of the cult than inside of the cult. It's, it's always that they are happier once they leave. It's just that they did not know they had access to uh, that level of happiness and, and personal satisfaction while they were in it. Mm. Yeah. So that said, um, I drew at least part of my definition of cults just from years of research. So some of it's just me. Uh, but the first three of these actually came directly from Christianity Today, because I wanted to try to stick with uh, attributes that Christians themselves described as cults, because I've got a very difficult case that I'm going to try to make uh, as, as this program progresses. But before I uh, go into my case that I'm going to try to make, I just want you to hear how Christians uh, describe what a cult is. And so these first three, uh, exclusivity, uh, secretiveness, and authoritarian. So I, I uh, uh, and I'll get into my personal experience a little bit more, but just to unpack these a little bit, exclusivity is the kind of thing where um, a group might say, well, we're the only people uh, where salvation can be found. So this this church, this is the only one that, where you can be saved. That's a, that's a form of exclusivity. Now, it's not the only form. Uh, another uh, way that this presents itself is if you leave this this group, then uh, there will be some kind of dire consequence. 
so this is this is the only group where you can you know avoid the doom that is to come. Uh, so it, it's very exclusive in that way. There's a there, a very clear bright line between us and them. Uh, a cult is secretive. So a good example of this is uh, Mormonism and Scientology. I would put both of those uh, in this category because there's the first level of information that you are told when an evangelist shows up to your house. Now in Scientology, they don't, they're not going door to door, but there's, there's this first level of information and that's the information that kind of sucks you in. With Mormonism, it's, you know, we're all family friendly. This is about family and love and community. They do not get into the crazy. <laughs> you, you, you never actually get into the sacred underwear until you until you are a few levels in. <laughs> it's too late <laughs> by the time you get there. But I promise, if you hang around in Mormonism long enough, you will get into the sacred underwear. You are in a cult <laughs> at that point, and it's and you are. It's way hard to get out. Uh, by the time you are are presented with that piece of uh, information. And then uh, there's the uh, authoritarian aspect uh, of a cult. And a way of understanding this is maybe a church leader, a powerful preacher who controls the church, or maybe a body of elders. It, It could be shared among them, but they still have all the power in the world over your lives to be able to dictate to you what you can and cannot do, what you can and cannot think, how you should and shouldn't vote, uh, ideas of right and wrong. I mean, the Catholic Church, it doesn't get much more authoritarian than a pope uh, ruling from the chair, ex cathedra. Uh, Yet, you don't have to be quite that denominational to run into churches that have that kind of authoritarian effect if not the structure. And so that's a thing uh, to look out for. Uh, Before I go into more of these definitions, I know that some of these other definitions are shared by your lists. And so I think uh, I'm going to pass the mic to Sarah and uh, see uh, how you define cult beyond this. Yeah, I had um, so so to add to some of your uh, exclusivity and the idea of... um, uh, having some secret knowledge and things like that, that um, the cult is often a solution to the world's problems. That's how they market themselves a little bit. Uh, they're the kind of chosen ones. They're, they've got the they've got the answer to to the to the issue, and so that's why you see lots of people going off and starting cults that uh, uh, have a new way of you know being together in community and. Um, and operating that way. Um, I think the idea of a leader being quite um, authoritarian is really probably key that, that they also think that they're somebody special uh, so in a Christian cult maybe it'd be somebody who thinks they've really got quite a good connection with God they're in they're in there plugged in a bit more um, than say the average follower um, and that this this person excessively dictates on how you should live your life um, and what to as you say what you should think and what you should do so um, that's definitely something that comes from the leader uh, there's also this idea of sort of suppressing criticism they don't like any sort of uh, uh, counter to their ideas you, you you're not supposed to doubt you're not supposed to um, 
ask questions uh, and they sort of isolate doubters. You know, I think in Scientology, isn't it, they call them the, is it the suppressives or something? People who um, are kind of toxic to the the cult. So you try and Mm -hmm. kind of uh, put them aside. So basically you're just squashing any kind of criticism. So in a healthy community, there should be people who are able to ask questions and um, challenge things. But uh, in a cult, it's kind of very much kept under dampers. So um, that was a couple of extra things there. I mean, I've got some other definition as well, but um, such as uh, some people have said no financial transparency is is a good indicator of a cult. Um, I don't know if that's the case with, for example, Christianity and churches. I think fairly, they're fairly open about their accounts, but maybe something like Scientology might be a little bit more You are in France. (laughs) In In America, there is no such thing as transparency, financial transparency for churches. In fact, it's one of the things that they have fought for and continue to win. They, they do not have to open their books. No, but they do need to keep accounts, surely, in some sort of, for tax purposes. Well, <laughs> yeah. For, they, nope. No. They're not <laughs> no, no. no you, you're, you're exempted. But you, you keep accounts, surely, of donations and pastors. Some, somebody like in the church somewhere might, if if they want to, but they do not have to. Uh, they do not they, have to. There mm. is zero transparency. It's one of the things that churches are, uh, you know, they strongly fight and when mm-hmm. it's, it's just been a part of our history for a long time but yeah i when i when i heard you say that i realized oh yes it's not the uh, just the accent you are from another part of the world mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i mean I, I i i would say i think churches still because they're registered charities they would still have to um produce some sort of accounts and some sort of accountability of of uh some sort i would have thought i can't imagine they just get away with just taking donations and not worrying about it because some of it's tax deductible anyway so the they would be in your interest to do um to keep some accounts they some don't school. pay but, taxes um, <laughs> no i know in the uk you're in the u.s you you uh, you don't have to pay taxes yes. and it's uh it's a bit different over there but um, and then the other thing I was going to say, um, they rely on shame cycles. So Ooh, that's uh, they're quite abnormally strict as to codes of conduct, particularly on things like diet, um, relationships or sex or um, anything like that. They kind of they do like to dictate those things and they like to make people feel unworthy. If there's any sort of way you can get guilt and shame in there, you're onto a winner of the cult. So, uh, um that was another thing. I don't know if Andrew wants to jump in now. I've got a few other bits, but I can pepper them through a bit later. So, yeah, I think I'll, I'll uh, add one or two here. Um, I've actually got eight points, all from my own uh, experience, but some of them backed up from a from a college course that I took uh, in the four major cults uh, a number of years ago. But one of them that we haven't mentioned here is the threat of permanent reprisal, the threat of hell, or uh, the, uh, you know, the sort of, um, uh, the sort of guarantee that if you don't do what they do, right, you're hell bound, and the promise of ultimate salvation. And that works a number of ways. Not only does the cult say that they are the uh, ones with, with ultimate uh, salvation, but they, they want that, um, uh, they want you to carry that forward. And that does uh, lead into something both of you mentioned, and that's isolationism, right? We, mm-hmm. we know uh, that you create this environment of, of making people special, right? And, and then 
they isolate themselves, and, that, and that's actually another problem. Um, when you um, uh, when you start this sort of uh, isolation, you've got to have secret doctrine or secret knowledge. That's one of the things that that cult leaders bring to the table, right? They they have a secret knowledge that is open only to them. In fact, the Mormon church just appointed a, a new leader, and this guy uh, apparently wakes up in the middle of the night and writes on these yellow notepads the messages he's getting from God. And we're supposed to, to trust that secret knowledge that he brings to the table. Um, so I think we, uh, Sarah, I don't know your experience as much as I do uh, David's, but we had secret doctrine, right? We, we spoke a language that sounded like plain English uh, to the people around us, but we had hidden meaning in our words. Uh, Give us of, an example of that, because it's a secret yeah. doctrine, so it's like a tenant that you adhered to, or was it just? Well, so we would we would use we would use phrases um, that that seem um, uh, I think alien center might be a good example. Um, so in the Church of Christ, alien sinner uh, or sinner had a, a specific meaning. So if you said uh, if you said sinner as a Christian, uh, depending on what denomination you're a part of, um, you might think, well, sinner would apply to anyone. Sure, and we're all alien sinners. Right, right. Mm -hmm. but, but in the Church of Christ, if we said sinner, what we actually meant was anyone who was not a member of the Church of Christ. And no so, way. We, um, Literally yeah. not a member. So you could be a Christian, but you were, you were still a sinner if you weren't a member of the Church of Christ. We are going to open true. the secret books uh, <gasps> soon. We're, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna talk about this a little bit. Yes. And, <laughs> yes. and this was when I went through that cult class um, back in the early 90s. It was one of the things I pointed out is that cults have very special phrases, things that you can say uh, when you're in public. And, and people think they understand. But it, it really is a secret handshake. Alien sinner is, was one of those phrases, and the first one I come to mind, but uh, the first one that comes to mind, but I think David may have some others in mind. I don't know if he does. But, but our language was filled uh, with, with that sort of special appeal to each other, very much like, um, very much like, um, uh, what are the guys that wear the rings? Um, uh, uh, come on, the uh, the old guys that have the lodges. Um, oh, the Masons. What? The Masons. The Three Masons. The, oh, yeah, okay. goodness, the Masons. Uh, I said Lord we'll, of the Rings. Yeah. No, yeah. no, they, they well, wear no, well, it's almost. <laughs> it's the okay. Masons actually have things that they say to each other in public to identify each other, and uh, you can yes. hear their conversations. Yeah. They refer and, to the creator of the universe as one of them, isn't it? If they're it be, instead of a judge, they'll pretend to say the oath instead of "I swear before Almighty God." They say, "I'll swear before Almighty the the Almighty Creator of the universe," and it's kind of a little tell sign for the uh, judge. I read that once about the Masons, but um, one of them is "I'm on the square." On the square. On the square. One of okay. one of the ways that a Mason. I I have some friends who are Masons, and I caught on to it. At lunch one day, one of the guys said to another guy across the table from me, he said, uh, I'm on the square. 
and uh, and they they swapped a couple of phrases back and and I I tweaked to it. Oh, yeah, you guys are both Masons, and they were quite surprised that I caught on. But I've got a I've got a number of family members who are also uh, Freemasons, and so that would be one of those things that might strike you as odd sitting at it. What do you mean you're on the square, right? But we'd ignore it. But that is mm-hmm. a, it is a special phrase. And our language was filled with special phrases. So, and this is the Church of Christ. So, what's the? Do you know what the equivalent is for kind of mainstream Christianity? Is it like Church of England in the UK? Is it? It's a, not an equivalent to anything. So, okay. <laughs> it's a cult. It's a cult. It's not, okay. like yeah, yeah. It's only with hindsight we know <laughs> these things right. for sure. Yeah. Um, okay. But that said. Uh, this this will be a, 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 if I have time a part of my uh, later case that I will be making. Uh, I I think that all of Christianity has secret language, uh, if you will, or at least they pour mm. certain meaning into language that uh, is not necessarily a part of the mainstream meaning. But they but they have ways of saying things that you know an, an average person might hear but it's not exactly what a christian means by it so f- in, an example of that might just be something as simple as uh morality uh good and evil you, you think well we all know what we mean when we say that no you don't uh, because what a what a Christian means by that they have they they are not concerned with pro-social or anti-social behavior. That is not what they're talking about when they talk about doing good. They're talking about doing what God uh, wills, what pleases God, what makes God happy. That is the only definition of good that, at the end of the day, matters. And so you think that you're having a conversation about ethics. But you're not having a conversation about ethics because they do not recognize the idea that just because something is pro-social, that that's good. It's good if it pleases God, and it's evil if it doesn't please God. So that's that's just a just a little example of how even mainstream Christianity kind of has their own um, private meaning to public words. Yeah. Okay. We had the word. Um, we had the the phrase in the kingdom and out of the kingdom. There was those that were in, so you could be a Christian or not a Christian. Well, yeah, definitely a Christian, but you were in. And then there was kind of Christians that were out of the kingdom and out of the blessing. So there was that kind of language being used. <clears throat> right, and um, you know things like um, you know brother uh, and sister. You know these are very you know basic kind of ways that we that people used to address each other in a less religious kind of common way even in australia it's probably not uncommon for someone to say how you doing brother um but these are these are very specific kind of religious ideas in christianity uh you are in fact a part of the family or not a part of the family not based on your humanity but based on uh, your uh, your um, uh, your membership, whether you have been uh, inaugurated into that mm-hmm. particular line of faith or not, and don't don't mistake the uh, that all Christians are brothers and sisters. That is not that is not true either. 
so when they when they say that, they are not signaling uh, a, a type of kinship with all Christendom. They're they're calling out a way of identifying one another within their group. Yeah, the Church of Christ was pretty nasty about that, right? Because um, if you if you sat in the uh, Sunday night and Wednesday night lessons rather than the things that we were willing to say on Sunday mornings, um, you know, there was no fellowship with uh, Baptist churches or Methodist churches or the Church of God or or the Mormons or the Catholics or Episcopalians, Presbyterians. It didn't matter uh, what Christian denomination you were unless you were Church of Christ. There were no other Christians. In fact, we had a joke about this. We, we used to say, uh, we don't think we're the only ones going to heaven because we don't think all of us are going. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I remember Tony Campolo, so you've just had Bart, Bart Campolo on the uh, on the podcast recently, and he said, um, you know, it's, it's not just uh, it's not just Baptists that are going to church, you know, obviously all Christians are going to church, but us Baptists, well, why take the risk, you know, just uh, definitely you should be the Baptist people because they're the, they're the best. But uh, so similar along those lines, but not as harsh. That was really harsh. Oh, no, no, we're, we're yeah. very harsh. We, <laughs> I, I will. I I don't know this for sure, but I would be willing. I would be willing to bet the last dollar in my bank account. Uh, uh, so David and I um, were friends in high school, but we did our preaching on different coasts. So we, we spent some years where we weren't in the same place. I would be willing to bet my last dollar that David has not only told that joke in public, he has said it from a pulpit or a lesson somewhere in his past. Oh, sure. So why yeah. take the risk of being any other domin- denomination? Oh, yeah. Uh, no, yeah, no, that... Um, <laughs> Not all of us are going to be there. Um, yeah, no. Um, in fact, that was um, one of my one of my favorite um, memories of, uh, of visiting a church. I, I can't remember where I was exactly. I think it was yeah, I was in Alab- in Huntsville, Alabama. I, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. And um, the uh, it was a good sermon. I, re- I remember a lot of it. And the preacher said. Um, you know, we're a we're a congregation uh, of about uh, two hundred people. In the auditorium at the time, there were about eight hundred people sitting there. The congregation listed itself as about uh, twelve hundred, roughly. Uh, and he started his sermon by saying, "We're a congregation of about two hundred people." Because <laughs> the, yep. yep. the, the idea Only is two hundred of you are going to make it. That's, that's right. Because the, the rest of you fools. Four hundred. Yeah, four hundred thousand. <laughs> they're just gonna. I mean, poor things. If they honestly, if they crunch the numbers, um, they would work out they haven't got very high <laughs> chops of getting in there. I mean, I'd give up. I, I would just be like, okay, throw in the towel. Oh, by the, by the way, Andrew, you haven't told us which of the four main cults that you studied. Which ones are you oh, talking about? Okay, so I, I will answer that with a very slight preamble. I took this class um, at, a, at a Church of Christ school, and... As we were studying these, the pillars of, of what it meant to be, like, like taking the pillars of what it meant to be in a cult, like taking peripheral doctrine and making them matters of faith, um, you know, uh, all of the other things that we will talk about in this show, um, this professor 
had to say at, at each point where he identified, um, you know, a, a pillar of being in a cult like peripheral doctrine or or uh, thinking you're the only ones who will be saved or, or whatever the other pillars were. At each point, he had to say, but the Church of Christ isn't a cult because. So yes. <laughs> he was having to ignore the fact that we did everything cults did. <laughs> and, and, and yet we we weren't. And I could talk about what the four pillars are, but I don't want to do that yet because we're going to get into all four of them as we go. So what we identified as the four great cults, I think are still largely recognized here in the United States as being the four great cults in the U.S. So uh, that's the, the Mormons, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the, seven, the Seventh-day Adventists, and uh, Mary Baker Eddy's uh, uh, what is uh, Sounds like a cookie uh, Christian? The what they call that, Dave? Mary the Mary Baker Eddy, um, the Christian Church. Uh, the she's Christian the, science. Christian scientists. Yeah. Oh, the Christian yeah. Science oh God, they're definitely cults. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so those were the four: the Christian science, uh, the Christian science crowd, the Jehovah's Witnesses, Seventh Day Adventists, and the Mormons. So let me let me um, chime in there because this is. This is a place, you said, Andrew, the church had to continue to special plead for themselves. Uh, mm. They were not a cult. So I just want to swing back and finish uh, this definitional piece here. Mm. Uh, because I've, I've got something that uh, I want Sarah to, to read as we, as we go into our own experiences. Okay. So, um, yeah, so the, the first ones that I mentioned uh, were from Christ Christianity Today. I'll just read these off because we've talked about uh, most of them, dire consequences for not joining. Um, <clears throat> it, I want to say that not all of Christianity has this feature. There, there are some Christians who do not believe that there are any dire consequences for not becoming a Christian. They're universalists. So... Um, uh, there are there are exceptions uh, through all of this. Sep the, uh, separatists, we've we've talked about that a little bit. Um, you know, trying to separate you from uh, your family and your support group and making the cult the only uh, option. Uh, let's see, uh, calls for, unreasonable calls for self sacrifice. Uh, rejection uh, of self uh, and a requirement for some kind of transformation into something other than your nasty human weak self. Uh, fixate, fixation with doomsday. In fact, we uh, talk about doomsday cults uh, all the time. Uh, belief that you are in a military organization. Now, this is this is strictly from uh, my own. Uh, orifice, but I think it's uh, very cult-like when a group is uh, uses excessive militant language, um, yes. as, as if they were soldiers in some kind of army who are fighting some kind of war. Mm -hmm. uh, that that should be that should be a warning sign. Poor old uh, Salvation Army, though. Yeah, right. <laughs> a lot of good. <laughs> <laughs> but they do like their uniforms and their majors and their um, lieutenants and stuff. Oh, yes, well, they're if, not so bad. Can, can, I, can, I, can I use my catchphrase here? They are batshit crazy. <laughs> um, I they were some of the nicer Christians. I did, look, they are nice. I've, I, I've, had, uh, I've had my dealings with them, but... They are crazy. <laughs> so <laughs> they, they, it was a feature of the Church of Christ. Uh, it, it was a feature 
almost every lesson to use invective in describing uh, in describing other Christians. In fact, the Church of Christ was almost entirely a negative place to be. We spent very little time talking about the good news, right? We, we spent very little time actually trying to uh, share the, the, the good idea of going to heaven or something like that. What we spent our time doing was just bashing the hell out of everybody that we could think of. I'm I'm so not kidding. We could we could and did build entire lessons around nothing but invective against uh, other denominations and and uh, woe betide the the person who didn't believe at all. I mean it was sort of okay. It was sort of okay to be a Baptist because there was some hope mm. that that you might eventually be a good Christian. But, you know, the, the amount of invective piled on uh, skeptics and non-believers was, was even worse, but that was that was our modus operandi. I, I'm sorry, uh, did you just try to squeak in woe betide in a, in a sentence as, as if, uh, you know, it was normal and nobody was going to pick was up on that? Hoping, <laughs> I was hoping that was going to go right English. by. <laughs> woe betide, oh, it's, it's legitimate English. I, I, I sanction that perfectly okay. It's legitimate uh, English from, from 400 Russia. years ago. So, <laughs> sure. <laughs> Everyday parlance in our, in our uh, vernacular, for sure. Um, yeah, well, we, 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 I mean, we would have helped you as a cult. Our cult would have helped you. I mean, we would have looked down at you as a cult as being, if you didn't practice the, the uh, gifts of the spirit, then you were just a little bit, you know, lackluster, really. You were a little bit dead inside, so we would have helped you. We we definitely collaborated with other Christians. We had, a, hmm. oh, I can never say this word, econ, economic, oh, can somebody help me out here? Ecumenical. Econom Economical. There we go. Ecumenical. Ecumenical. I can spell it, but I can't say it. Um, and we would have definitely, uh, you know, we, we would definitely participated. We thought you were part of the team, but you just were so dead inside because you didn't clap and dance enough like we did. So we would have definitely, definitely looked up, looked to help you and, and to bring you into a bit more of a kind of happy, happy stage. So it's ironic that you were actually looking behind thinking everybody else was... <laughs> Out of the uh, out of the kingdom. Yes, uh, in uh, fact, your your happy clappy meant that you were not a part of the team, and <gasps> we would not have particularly tried to help you. We would have just condemned you. <laughs> Why? We were the only ones with the real, true gifting of the Holy Spirit. We were the ones that were he healing the sick and praying in tongues and dancing. We were dancing on a Sunday, so we were the real ones. Unfortunately, we just looked at anybody else, particularly the poor old Church of England. You know that in their kind of dusty old churches that do a lot of liturgy and singing at least they leave you alone in those churches but we definitely had a lot of pity for them they were they were so sub sub christian it was sad times oh sarah you condemn yourself with every word <laughs> <laughs> so uh, finishing finishing up the definitional piece there is one other that i don't want to let slip by which is flick, fixation on blood and sacrifice Mm -hmm. um, so this is very important for the later case that I will be building, and it will become more obvious as I talk what case I am building. But uh, I think that almost all 
people, not just Christians, would uh, identify a religion with a blood and sacrifice fixation as a cult if they didn't think about it too closely. Once they start thinking about it, then they start to redefine. Sarah, uh, do you have that piece handy? Yes. So, so you've uh, the third definition for a cult. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. I won't. I, so I pulled uh, some of this out of Christianity Today. That same article has a person, has the writer going back, though, in, in, almost altering the definition of cult even as he writes uh and it, this is an example of how fluid it is and how why it's so difficult to talk to people about this subject if you would just read that uh mm -hmm. sure so he, he says for the most part this third definition of a cult is being used less and less today experts who watch for dangerous or harmful religious groups now use the term new religious movements the words the word cult can hurt people because it carries so much negative meaning my sister was accused of being in a cult just because she preferred hanging out with christian friends rather than going out drinking with other friends she might have been in with a group of people that was unlike the norm because they devotedly followed christ but she certainly wasn't following a harmful faith so you can you can see even here as if you were reading the article through you could see how the definition of cult swings from these big ideas that he outlines to oh well no it has to be a harmful uh thing and you know the more you talk to christians the more the definition narrows and fluctuates and changes so that they can be sure uh, that they are not describing themselves as as they define a cult. Once again, I think this is one of the reasons why the church does not talk about this subject, because it is very hard to talk about what a cult is without um, identifying yourself in that group as well. I think it's safer to just stay away from it. So before I go any further in that case, I think it's time for us to uh, get a little bit more autobiographical and talk about our own uh, experiences and maybe why uh, each of us feels like we were in a cult. Andrew and I, I, I won't tell any of his secrets, uh, but Andrew and I were, uh, had a similar uh, church background experience. We were a part of a church called the Churches of Christ, or actually that's not true, called the Church of Christ. We were very specifically not called the Churches of Christ, but uh, the Church of Christ. It's not the Church of Christ uh, in God, or it's not the United Church of Christ, or it's not. It's just the Church of Christ. Um, look it up. Good luck with that, because uh, it's because it's a little bit hard to find worldwide uh, membership. Back in 1990, uh, it was somewhere around two million. These days, it's probably around. Uh, 1.2 1.3 um depends on depends on how you look it's hard to find numbers now because uh, they're on decline but i, I don't want to re recap the hour-long conversation that andrew and i had about how hard it is to figure out church numbers in the, in the game there's a particular game played by churches and why it's so difficult to nail down exactly what membership numbers are um and uh, we played it as well as anybody. So that said, it's hard to find people who were or are members of the Church of Christ. It's 
it's really tough to find. So just a couple of things about that church. Uh, you may have heard of a church group that only uh, uses acapella music, no instruments in their services. And we're not the only ones in the world with that particular distinction. But uh, we are perhaps uh, among the most prominent, if you can ever call us prominent uh, at anything. That's one of the doctrinal distinctives that we're known for. Oh, those are the people that don't have a piano or an organ or a tambourine or any such thing. So that's that's one of the things. Uh, you might hear it say of us that we believe in uh, a leadership structure of uh, elders and deacons. Uh, we believe uh, in congregational leadership, so no denominational structure. The Church of Christ will often say that they're not uh, a part of any denomination. As far as founders, uh, we would say that our only founder is Jesus, but if you scratch that surface a little bit more, you will find uh, founders with the name of um, of uh, Barton W. Stone and Alexander Campbell. So from that tradition, uh, part of that tradition would be called the American Restoration Movement, which would be different from the Reformation Movement. Um, let's see, some of, the, some of the other things that you might use to identify as, oh, yeah, there's a big one. We believe that we're the only people that are going to heaven and everybody else is going to hell. Um, now, interestingly enough, you may not know about that one, even if you have heard of the Churches of Christ, because that's a part of the crazy that we don't say out loud all the time. But it's definitely a part of who we are. Andrew, you want to add some things to that before I go even more into my own experience? Maybe, maybe just a couple of other ways that they might know us. Um, we're sometimes called Campbellites, though, though that was not entirely true uh, that was that was pretty well uh, you know, maybe a generation ago something that we would have been uh, known as Campbellites you might know us because we are the group who says uh, water baptism is not only required but it is it is your entrance into salvation so it's not an outer sign of an inward change. Uh, we don't do it uh, just to be like Jesus. It's uh, you are not saved by faith, and you are not saved until you are water baptized. So uh, a couple of things that were uh, a couple of other things that were unique to us. Yeah, that formula is very important. Also, women. Uh, so, once again, mm -hmm. not unique to us, but we tend to be very strict about the role of women. Uh, and, of course, the role of women is, uh, you know, whatever the man tells you. Uh, well, no, that, oh, it's actually, it is that. Um, but it's. Um, <laughs> that, that, that was actually right. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> but um, as far as the church goes, it's, it's very much a subordinate role. Women don't preach or teach, or um, in, in most churches of Christ, unless it's very liberal, uh, women don't even, you know, pass the collection plate or you know, if we have anything to do with the Lord's Supper or anything like that. The the closest thing that women have to do with a role in the church is they can prepare 
the Lord's Supper trays. You know, because their right. their work is in the kitchen. I can't um, even speak. Yeah. Cool. Where do I sign up? <laughs> Churchofchrist.org. I'm pretty sure you can probably find something there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You, you've talked about women's role. I, I can't let that go without without telling this bit of the story. I was uh, I was in a church in the in the southeast U.S. and um, uh, by this time I was an adult. I was a, a church leader. Here is one of the debates that we had. So uh, a young a young guy, uh, nine ten years old, had been baptized. Didn't have a didn't have a lot of children in the in this congregation at the time. I'm uh, awfully glad for that because that means we warped fewer young minds. But uh, this this kid is baptized. This this nine or ten year old boy, and because the Church of Christ so strongly believes that a woman is not supposed to, and I'll use the phrase here, usurp authority, because, I, Sarah, I think I said earlier, you know, we have these secret phrases, right? Well, this secret, this usurp authority phrase meant that women could not teach baptized believers. So this nine-year-old boy, this kid who uh, can't even figure out what to put on his scratches and cuts, right? He still needs his parents every day. Can't sit in a Sunday school class taught by a woman. Wow. So well, I, you, I would say it's a cult. We would call you out as that for sure. You just really? need to leave this place. And come really? to ours. Because that is not even... <laughs> That is not even one of the things that I uh, put on the list of why I would call it a cult. <laughs> no, I, just, I just wanted to color the women's role for you. People know how extreme we were. Oh yeah, um, yeah. There was a there. So, in all fairness, this is a matter of great debate uh, in the churches of Christ, uh, even to this day. In some churches, uh, it's a debate as to whether women can teach uh, Sunday school classes with kids. Uh, because some of the kids are baptized. One of one of our peculiarities is we baptize young, because of course you're going to hell, so you need to be baptized. So we we scare them young and teach them young and baptize them young. So uh, I was baptized at age seven, just to uh, put some flesh on that. So uh, you know, often women are Sunday school teachers because those are the those are the ones that are, are willing to wrangle little monsters for an hour <laughs> and and do that but once you baptize them then it's it does become a matter of very awkward debate in a lot of congregations can that baptized child still be in that class and a lot of congregations fall down on the side of no you can't right because it it, it might be okay but we're better off not running the risk wow <laughs> Okay. Wow. True. These are, and and these are true stories for thousands of congregations. Still today, not even just oh yeah, no, 10, no, no. 15 still years today. ago. Okay, still oh, today. Oh still no, today. this was this was true. The last time I had anything to do uh, 
with a church of Christ, I had some friends that lived in the town I lived in, um, and I know the I know the preacher. They would make that very same decision today. In fact, I've got, I know of at least three congregations that I'm I, I know I'm absolutely positive they would make the same decision right now. Yeah, I would say that the churches that I grew up with, the ones that are still in business, they would all uh, still make that same decision. Yeah. Yeah, but th- this wouldn't wash on like the west coast of America, presumably. This is kind of deep south uh, Bible Belt. Yeah, so I've lived on the west coast, and uh, you think so, wouldn't you? Accepting, <laughs> <laughs> really? yeah. I mean, accepting this as a okay. <laughs> you seem shocked, uh, Sarah. All, <laughs> yeah, all totally. people need to do is read Vigil or look up Wayne Jackson. Uh, his his congregation is out in California. Um, if you look up Wayne Jackson, and find, he's, so there are lots of people named Wayne Jackson. I'm sure you want to find the Wayne Jackson, who's a preacher in the Church of Christ, who lives in California. These are all things that he would readily say in print. Yeah, no, the, the Churches of Christ were born in the South. Uh, mm-hmm. So wherever they are, they still have a Southern heritage. Now that said, there are plenty of liberal churches of Christ. I don't. I don't want to That's uh, right. say that you know this is a this is a monolithic denomination. It is not. Uh, but those liberal churches of Christ are considered apostate. <laughs> so. well, right, and and to carry that on, there are there are um, offshoots of the Church of Christ, uh, the Christian Church, for instance, that is that is equally conservative. Uh, with the exception of, of instrumental music, the Christian church would make this this very same claim. David, you might know more about disciples uh, than I do. Would the disciples have made the the same claim about women's role? No. No, no okay. disciples would have been on the liberal end. Uh, they accepted women uh, in leadership. Mm, fair enough. Yeah, that, in fact, that was that was the biggest distinction, I, I would say. Then again, the mm. disciples of Christ are apostate, so it, does, oh, right. it does not matter. So. Look, not even all of us are going to heaven. So <laughs> but but you know the reason. So there are about five branches in in the Church of Christ. There's the mainstream church. There's the uh, non corporative church. There's a non corporative one cup church. And then on the left, there is the Christian church and then the disciples of Christ. The, they the reason they're branches of the same denomination that considers themselves not a denomination is uh, because they hail from the same founder. They're they're all Campbell Stone traditions, just kind of different iterations of the teachings of the same group of people. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's it's very interesting. I, I'm I'm going to leave uh, most of the time for Sarah to talk about experience, but I, I will just say from my for myself, I think the place where I started to suspect that not only was I not in the one true church, but that it was a cult. Um, I think probably in my late teens, uh, and this is something that I was not able to talk to people about. So another one of those signs of a church that might be a cult is you're isolated, um, when, uh, in, when you, when you dissent, 
you you can't actually dissent on certain things. You can't disagree on certain things. Um, the, the tenets of faith are the tenets of faith, and the, the, it's not it's not negotiable. So if you try to negotiate it, <laughs> um, you are you are quickly isolated and um, made something of a pariah. And so what happens most of the time is that people are just become afraid to bring certain things up after a while. Mm-hmm. And I I would have been in that category of there there just some things you don't you don't bring up. So for me. I think the thing that said, no, this isn't right, is once I really started working with that idea uh, of everyone else is going to go to hell because they don't believe the way I do. This, it, it should be obvious that that's wrong, but it's not obvious when you're in there. But even once you're inside of it, there are ways to reason your way through that. And one of those ways is by the recognition that even we don't agree. We, uh, you know, within the Churches of Christ, we split all the time. Um, the, the Churches of Christ are are huge splitters, <laughs> uh, and so they it's it's hard to get a group of them together that agree on things enough to to keep going for a number of years. So you know, just give them time; they'll split, and there'll be another <laughs> church. That's kind of how they grow. They grow by uh, mitosis. Even it's so in, within a congregation, you know, members don't agree in some on some things that are pretty important, and we we like to pretend Christians. You you can see this on the uh, unbelievable board. Christians pretend like, well, you know, we've got these in-house uh, debates, and but we all agree on the big issues. That's the, that's the pretend. It's and it's just not true. That, but they're always trying to spin it as if they're they're all together. Well, they're not, and we most certainly weren't. And so once you, once you realize, well, we've got some major disagreements even inside of our own walls. So does that mean that people who don't agree with me inside of the church are not real Christians and that they're going to hell? Does it mean that they are being insincere? Because what we would say, you know, if you, if you didn't agree with our various points to prove why our church was right well you're obviously being insincere well are they insincere are they stupid no that doesn't seem to be right uh and so once you once you recognize and and grant yourself uh the permission to uh to maybe be wrong because uh, the other thing is when you realize that you yourself are wrong about some things uh, in a church that believes that they're right about everything, it's a very hard thing to come to a realization that you might be wrong about some things. So once you do, you you can begin to ask yourself, well, was I lying to myself when I believed this other thing? Well, no. Was I insincere? No. Was I stupid? No. And then you begin to ask yourself that about people in other denominations. Um, I, I, I know these people. I went to school with these people. I, um, you know, I go to the store and I see these people all the time in a small town. You get to know a little bit of everybody. Well, are these people, are they evil? No, they're, no, they're not evil. Are they, are they stupid? No, they're not stupid. Uh, they're, you know, they're my teachers and principals and things. Well, are they, are they insincere? No, they're not insincere. And in fact, I was fairly sure most of them were more sincere than, uh, than I was. And so I had to 
come to the conclusion that um, if, in fact, I was in the one and only true church, there was something wrong with God that would make the message so hard to find that everybody I knew was going to go to hell because because they didn't have the same nuance and understanding of scripture as I did that simply couldn't be right and and I think that it was that idea more than anything else that cued me into the the idea that I'm I am in a cult <laughs> so um Sarah you worked it out when you were in the cult yes you, you, when you think you worked it out okay yes because I would say it was a lot later that I worked it out so tell us about it. Okay, so firstly, because I mean, names like Wayne Jackson and anything that comes out from America, we all know in the in Europe is batshift crazy. We know we can ignore that. You're all completely nuts. You're a hedonistic society. We can just put a line under that. It's all good. Uh, we're the only ones with the true religion, of course, because we've got some history there with the Church of England, um, and pretty much everyone else, obviously, is going to go to hell. Um, ironically, though, I belong to firstly a Methodist, then a Baptist, then we went um, evangelical, uh, charismatic, uh, with what we called a fellowship. So that <laughs> should ring alarm bells. But anyway, we were a fellowship, and um, it came from the Bob Mumford, uh, Barney Coombs, Derek Prince, people like that, who ironically are in the States, uh, who kind of transported their version of Christianity to the UK. So we're kind of we're kind of mirroring some of the things that are happening in the States. It's a bit. Um, it's definitely charismatic. It's definitely lively, cla- happy, clappy. Um, but I think that the tenets of, of the faith are fairly general and agreed upon, you know, with other churches. And as I say, we generally look down on the uh, the kind of the Catholics and the Church of England and those kind of churches as being a little bit dead and not kind of alive in Christ, really, because they're not praying in tongues and dancing on a Sunday. So, and we definitely had music. Oh, that was the best, the best bit, really. Um, so I pity you that you had to all sing a cappella because we had some pretty tone deaf people it would have been pretty awful so oh so um, did we and, <laughs> and then later on in life i went to the kind of uh, john wimber vineyard movement again looking i just didn't want you know liturgy and and uh, dusty old churches i want i wanted something that was a bit alive so um but i'd i'd kind of been to loads of places with university and um, having French family who had Salvation Army roots. Um, I kind of I'd, I'd been to all the wide gamut of churches, so I, I think I, I thought I had a fairly good idea of what it meant. Um, but this this fellowship in particular, so this was the sort of 80s. My parents joined this church, um, and it's only really now that I'm looking back and going, this was the actual definition of what a cult is um, at the time, because it's. I think this is the problem. It's um it's veiled under the cloak of respectable uh, Christianity, so it kind of gets a pass. And I think a lot of people could be in a cult and not realise it. I think a lot of churches are cult-like. I think it really depends on the leader. Um, if you've got somebody who's quite open-minded, quite relaxed, and quite secure in themselves, I don't think that that necessarily automatically leads to a cult. But if you've got somebody who's I mean, basically, I used to think the church was a, a refuge for nerds who can't make it in the real world. That was my view of these people. Um, so, you know, they're failed teachers and failed. They're not people who can really, who can 
make it in the real world in real jobs so they kind of were in church leadership instead and even in the church that's what i used to think of them so not not a great endorsement but they um so yeah they were often quite insecure and so those kind of um characters rise to the surface and they uh they try and exert their control they're not they're not mature enough really to deal with people and their problems they have to work by rules and um create paranoia and the shame cycles and all the things that we you know are um linked to cult behavior but i think it is more down to the the individual and we had a particular individual like that who didn't like to be questioned who would talk about people being in the kingdom and out of the kingdom and in the blessing and out of the blessing and um and wanted to dictate a lot there was a lot of talk about people having to give up jobs my mum was told to give up her teaching job because you know it, it took her away from the church my dad it was because he couldn't attend 20 meetings a week or whatever it was was again told that he should probably you know step down from his job I mean it was constantly telling people to step down from jobs and I don't know what they expected people to do other than work for the church but at some point the maths doesn't work out because you have to have those who are tithing to keep those in in, uh, <laughs> in church leadership um, you know financially uh, viable so um so i know there was a quite a lot of that sort of thing happening i mean i was a child at this time i'm sort of talking eight to 15 years old at this point so i'm aware of what's going on but i'm not entirely um being affected by it um the church the kids kind of group and youth ministry and things was very much uh orientated on relationships and not having relationships with uh, the opposite sex and kind of um marshalling those anybody who was dating with anyone was kind of uh you know heavily looked upon but they they did allow it and, and it was you know some some of those times were good fun in youth group and things but um for my parents it was quite a different story they were being told to leave jobs they were being they were being they were hearing of stories of people who were told whether or not they could have a pet um you know because it was too much for them or not you know that kind of thing um they were told um they were very much disciplined. They were encouraged to uh, share their problems and their history. So a lot of people who come from quite difficult situation, abuse, um, were sort of sharing this the situation. And these leaders would kind of, you know, pounce on them and pray these demons out of them and try and cure them of this type of thing and tell them to smack their children, even though they'd been fleeing a very violent relationship. So there's a lot of control, a lot of um, just really bad bad counseling and bad psychology um then they set up their own school and i was the only child in the church along with my sister not to go to this uh, christian school they followed the pace or the ace program that the americans had set up i don't know if you know those for homeschooling in the in the states um but they were they followed that and again it was very authoritative authoritarian and um so uh, but it all basically came from this heavy shepherding movement that was big in the 70s and 80s uh, where people had to have accountability and I guess that's a biblical um, uh, idea where you kind of talk to your shepherd about things but it just became a massive area of uh, to be abused because again people who are very insecure who don't like things not being done in a certain way uh, would try and dictate how others should live their lives and I think that's where it became very cult-like and we obviously um, ostracized anybody who left um, and we and my mum and dad were very much 
on the outer circle of this cult because they weren't really towing the line. They dared to question, they dared to ask questions, uh, you know, um, to criticize things and uh, ask for accounts on certain things. And they were just shunned. And we were told that our family was trouble uh, and that we were um, definitely out of the blessing and somebody to be avoided. So eventually they left. Um, but I kept going because I fancied the guy there. So that's why I carried on going. And I've since married him. So um, it worked out okay. But um, we uh, uh, then, yeah, um, that's pretty much what, what happened in uh, in my life. But I, as I say, I think it's mostly down to leaders and their personal characteristics. I think you could have a church that's okay with a very relaxed pastor that's not very authoritative and um, where people can thrive and grow and be different. But as soon as you have people who are insecure, it, it becomes it becomes very cult-like. So, um, and uh, leaders can be very abusive from their, their position. So, um that was a little bit my story but I'm I, I as I say I came out of it and it's only really now when I look back and I sort of think you know was there a leader who said he was special yes tick was there suppression of criticism yes what did we ostracize members yes were we paranoid about the outside world did we rely on shame cycles did the leader um, have uh, was above the law and couldn't be criticized did we answer with cliches and breaking down of identity uh, of people did we think we were the only ones with the right solution did we have secret rights? I wouldn't say secret rights, but we definitely have rights of passage to join the church. So all those things, tick, 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 tick. I was in a cult, but I didn't realise until now. <laughs> Just want to say, if you go to church in a place that encourages you to hit your children, you're in a cult. I don't care whether you think you are, you don't think you are. If you're in a place where they're telling you to hit your kids, you're in a cult. Get out. So I can say that about the Bible. Don't spare oh, the rod. No, That's no. the problem. That's the thing. <laughs> That's the thing. It's under the cloak of of a respectable religion. That's why it gets a pass. That's why, because when you look at um, why Christians say they're not, in, you know, I've, I googled a bit before this, uh, you know, is Christianity a cult to see where Christians are saying, no, we're not. They're basically saying um, cults reject the tenets of the faith. Okay, that's fair enough, I guess. Um, but. Um, uh, yeah, a lot of the other the other characteristics they actually they do they do pass the test for being a cult, but they they don't like it, so they don't tend to agree with the so, definition particularly. So you're you're dangerously near the place where I'm going to make my uh, my case here. <laughs> so yes, uh, okay. we will. Let me we will come back to that. <laughs> no, no, I, I'm I'm going to stoke the fire for you. I'm going to stoke the fire for you if you are in a religion that tells you that despite your best efforts, no matter how much you learn, no matter how dedicated you are, no matter what you sacrifice, you will never be good enough, that there is a perfect standard that even when you reach heaven, you're still not good enough. It is just grace and mercy that keeps you there. You're in a cult. Get out. So... You sound uh, like you are talking about mainstream uh, Christianity, there, Andrew. Um, don't <laughs> don't respond to that. Uh, do you what what made you what made you realize that you were in a cult, Andrew? <laughs> oh wow! So you know, sometimes it's hard to be autobiographical, 
um, sometimes we we have experiences and we uh, you know they're they're hard they're hard to share. Um, I think the first time I realized it uh, was when I was in college. So I've, I've mentioned on some other shows that I was the only kid on campus who was majoring in computer science and theology. Um, it, it was a strange combination, and all I can say was it was a, a, a strange time uh, in my life. But the first time I realized I was in a cult, um, I was taking a religious class on campus. I, I don't now remember the class, so I might think of it in a, in a couple of minutes. But, uh, I had asked a, a, a terribly uncomfortable question in this religious class, and I, I, don't, I don't now remember the question, though that might be another detail that I could come up with if I tried. Um, but I was ostracized on campus for a couple of weeks. My roommate wouldn't speak to me. I was in the preacher's club. None of none of the none of the kids majoring in religion would speak to me. But this was a small campus. There were there were I almost no one spoke to me. The staff at, at the university stopped speaking to me. Uh, and that might have been my first inkling that I was in a cult. The second one was the. Uh, was the bit that I relayed a minute ago. I'm sitting. I'm sitting in a in a class that's studying cults. In fact, the title of the class was Denominational Doctrines Two. Um, that was the that was the class, and the and the professor said, you know, uh, one of the one of the pillars of cults is that they uh, they take peripheral matters uh, that are not important and promote them to matters of faith. Now, it might seem like the Church of Christ does it, right? And, and he did that four distinct times, uh, four distinct times in one class period. And I was not the only, uh, I was not the only young person taking that class who walked out with severe doubt about the Church of Christ. But we were we were dedicated enough to only barely talk about it and it was clear in my own mind that should i open up some line of questioning like that again i could be ostracized a second time were there any other dissenters that you could kind of connect with because as i said well my parents found a few other people who were also being uh shunned and abused and being told absolutely batshift crazy stuff about you know leaving jobs or smacking their kids and and they kind of banded together so there's this group of rebels um and they yeah and they could sort of help each other to realize they're not crazy but you know the damage it does my mom took probably 25 years to get over the issue really i mean i don't think to this day she i refer to it as a cult and she still she still has difficulty even entertaining that no it's a christian church with a leader that was a little bit insecure and and uh, and it became a a bit abusive and authoritarian but i don't think she ever realized it it is the definition of a cult it's only when you read the definition of cult you and you tick all those boxes you realize it is but um yeah i mean there was at least there was quite a few people that were asking questions and there was this little underground movement so you didn't have anything like that you're everyone's happy and everyone's towing the line at your college no they they weren't but I, because I was 
incredibly socially awkward uh, as a young person. I was playing, I was sort of playing both sides of this fence to some extent because I wanted badly to be a true believer. And so I almost all of the time, uh, I was, in fact, I was part of this group we call the Saving Seven. So seven of us within the within this preacher's club that, uh, who were really, really uh, hardline Church of Christ. Only uh, baptism and only baptism is the is the last step to salvation. Uh, you must lead an entirely uh, an entirely faithful life. A single sin, one single sin, regardless of of how insignificant, uh, could send you to hell. In fact, it, you know it's just, it's, it's, I describe it now as the hokey pokey of, of Christianity because uh, you could be in Christianity one moment. And uh, we, we, used, we used examples like if you, were, if you were in a car collision, right, and it was going to take your life, and at the, at the moment that you see your life about to be taken by an oncoming truck, you say, oh, damn. <laughs> and that's you it. You've blown it. She's laughing. She doesn't understand. So were there other people that didn't take it as seriously as I did? Yes, there absolutely were. Did I have access to those people? No. And the reason is not because they weren't good people. The reason is because I was socially awkward and I was towing the line. I was one of those people mm. who was willing to say to you, if you say damn in a car wreck and you die, you're going to. In fact, we I had a college professor who told this story. I'll, t- I'll just I'll just tell it here. He was uh, he visited the hospital pretty regularly. He was he was OK like that. And he was visiting a man who was in intensive care. And this this college professor who was also a preacher managed to convince this man that salvation could only be attained through baptism. Pretty easy to do when you're on the deathbed to convince someone that they, you know, need to be. Anyway, go ahead. (laughs) Yeah. This man that he needed. So here were the five steps of salvation. This is still true for the Church of Christ today. Hear the Word of God. Believe that the Word of God has transformative power. Repent of your sins. Confess that Jesus is the Son of God. And be baptized for the remission of your sins in the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, he convinced this man that this was the the path to salvation. And this man was ready to be baptized, but he was in intensive care. And the doctors wouldn't consent to unplug him long enough to baptize him. And this preacher, this college professor, walked out because, you know, you you can't do anything to override the medical staff and he has reduced this man to tears and wailing because he thinks he's going to lose his soul because he wasn't immersed in water for the remission of sins and he told this story to us with all seriousness in a class called preacher and his work and and he said and yes i believe right now that that man is burning in hell wow that's i mean your church was harsh man (laughs) 
It was harsh. At least we did that. We did a lot, a lot of the family stuff: the singing, the dancing, the jumping around, the clapping. We had a bit of tongues going you on. You just so keep that was making always... it worse every time you say oh that. Well, you need somebody to point out how complete. But that's the thing: when you're in it, you think it's completely normal because it's just it builds. It's not sudden. It's not. You just don't go into the cult with your eyes wide open, thinking, "Okay, I'm going to now, you know, uh, do these weird rites and say these weird." It just builds really slowly, and these people are your friends and uh, you trust them and the leader as you know you think is anointed by god and you think god's in charge of the whole thing anyway so it just slowly builds until you are in these completely nuts situation right it's one asks the question of of the mormon how do you go from uh you know good family um values to sacred underwear how how do you go there that's not that's not a single step no and you know so um that is that is how cults work and and if i can segue into the last 2 hours <laughs> of, our, of our podcast <laughs> so, and then our initiation is over right so um so yeah people uh who are sitting there having to go to the bathroom suck it up this is uh this is how it's done you ask for longer right shows now, you're in a cult <laughs> sucking it up is what you gotta do you do it's not a- you did not head for the exit the sermon is not over <laughs> they might discover their pause buttons at any rate um for those of you who uh, are willing to soldier on i have a, i do want to make a case and i think that a, a lot of what has been said in the last uh, several minutes kind of segues into it because yeah how do you know people from the outside can see hey dude what you're doing and saying and believing is weird i think you're in a cult and they and they don't see it however if they were presented with that thing that the other people saw first if they if they were presented with that then they would have said oh no obviously that's a cult uh but once again this is this is not how cults work and so the case that i want to make and the reason i didn't want to introduce it up front it's because it's very controversial. It's very difficult. Of course, what what do you expect from me? Um, the case I want to make is that all mainstream Christianity is a cult. You do not have to agree with me, but I do want you to hear the case that I have to make because it does somewhat answer the question of for the Mormon how you go from family values to sacred underwear. Um, because there's nothing more mainstream than the presentation of Mormonism to the new convert. Uh, it's, it's, it's very mainstream. In fact, it's, it's most of it's right out of the Bible because they use the same Bible. Uh, yes, they also, uh, present you with the book of Mormon, but the reason they can convert so many mainstream Christians is because they speak the same language and they use the same Bible. Um, now granted, they have different meanings for a lot of the, uh, the, the words that Christians, uh, typically use, but it's, it's a very subtle, uh, indoctrination. But I would say that this is true of the Baptists, the Methodists, the Church of England, uh, the Catholic Church. It's the same type of subtle indoctrination 
so that by the time you get to the crazy, you don't even think it's crazy. You don't even see it anymore. So with that said, let me just look at a, a, a couple of things. And rather than talk about the, the, ch- the Christian church as it exists today, let me spend a few minutes talking about Christianity as envisioned by Jesus, as taught by Jesus, the original Christianity, if you will. And my case is that was a cult. And if it was a cult then, it's a cult today. And it's not less of a cult simply because you're used to it. So here's my case. I'll be, I'll be quick, but I'll try to be thorough. Uh, we started off with exclusivity. But of course, Jesus is, uh, calls for ultimate exclusivity. He is the only way to God. He's the way, the truth, and the light. Uh, no one comes to the Father except by him. You can't get a more exclusive statement than that. Now, you've got to understand that Jesus is saying this uh, among Jewish people. That's, that's his audience. Either, either people who were actively Jewish or who, were, who had a Jewish heritage, I would say that during the time of Jesus, there, there probably wasn't a lot of true Orthodox old school Judaism floating around, especially in the countryside. But that said, that's, that's the audience that Jesus is talking to. And there were different um, forms of Judaism by that time. But Jesus comes along and no one knows who Jesus is. Uh, you know, he's not walking around with a halo. People aren't saying, oh, that's God over there. Jesus is saying things like, the only way to the Father is through me. That's extremely exclusive. Now, if you, if you imagine encountering someone today uh, on television or on the street corner saying, I am the way, I am the door, and no one comes to the Father except by me, you would immediately label that person as a cult leader. You, you would not even hesitate. This is how Jesus came on the scene. Uh, my second point, Jesus originally taught uh, a secretive doctrine that only the insiders were allowed to know. Remember, we talked about the secretiveness Let me just read you a a passage from Scripture. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. This is the formula of an ancient mystery religion. This is how the writers of the New Testament of uh, Mark, Matthew, and Luke, all of the synoptic gospels, uh, have Jesus saying this. This is how he presented it. There There was the information for the insiders and the information for the outsiders, and he intentionally obscured his message so that the outsiders would not understand. Now, if you heard of a person doing that with his message today, you would immediately say, oh, this person is trying to form a cult. You would not even hesitate. And yet Jesus gets a pass. Point three, Jesus calls for the separation from family. Let me read. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. 
And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. I don't want to get into what Jesus might have meant by hate your father and mother and brother and sister. Let me just put it in the modern context. If you heard any preacher today saying that about his movement and saying, compared to me, compared to love for me, your relationship with your family should look like hate, you would declare it a cult. You would have no hesitation declaring it a cult. This is how Jesus talked to the crowds, not just to his disciples. These are the things that he said out loud. Just a few other um, points, and I will let this go. Jesus calls for uh, self-denial, for transformation. You have to be born again, die to yourself. Why? Because there's obviously something wrong with self. Uh, He makes dire threats to those who reject him. You know where we get hell from? We don't actually get it from the Old Testament at all. We get hell from the New Testament. In fact, we get it mostly from Jesus. Jesus brings us the threat of hell if you don't listen to him. He um, goes on to teach things like um, sacrifice, sacrifice, Take up your cross and follow me. He teaches his followers that you must eat his body and drink his blood. I don't I don't actually care what he means by that. I I don't want to get into you know what what Jesus might have meant by that. Once again, put that in the lips of a modern teacher today. When the crowd uh, pushed back on that when they were confused and they were like, what, 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 what does he mean? Jesus did not break out some spiritual meaning to, to smooth it over and make them understand it. He just doubled down. You've got to eat me. He let them walk away confused because that's actually what he meant. And uh, if you want me to lay my cards out on the table, I think the Catholics are correct uh, in their doctrine of transubstantiation. I think that is more or less what Jesus meant. So, again, uh, I'll conclude. The key to understanding uh, this case that I'm making is to just imagine any of these things that Jesus said, except it's not Jesus, it's Billy Graham. Let's say we never heard it from Jesus. First time we heard it was from Billy Graham or from... You know, any of any respectable preacher, your preacher, and we would run for the hills. I think that part of the problem with giving Christianity a pass are non-believers like myself, non-believers like my co-hosts, because we say, well, mainstream Christianity, that, that gets a pass, and we treat Jesus as if he were something more than a man as if he were something other than a country bumpkin making up crap for ignorant people to follow. I don't care how much that offends you. I'm an atheist. That's what I believe. That's what we all believe. I'm just rude enough to say it out loud. And if Jesus is that, just a man saying these things, then he was the leader of a cult. And if it was a cult yesterday, it's a cult today. Get out.
Shall we pray? <laughs> Excellent ending. Um, yeah, as I say, you always <laughs> make a really good. You already make a good case, David, as ever. And uh, you know, you are my personal guru, so I'm happy to join your cult. Just tell me where I need to sign. Um, I'm absolutely uh, on board with that. Um, all I can say is I obviously have the little evangelical in me that pops up from time to time saying, yeah, but if you cast the nice Jesus, the one that's kind of, yeah, you hand wave away those difficult passages. And it's the it's the one that's, you know, it's all about love and and um, helping the poor and, and that kind of Jesus that that one, I think with a a leader in in uh, charge of the church a pastor who is a serving pastor who takes a um posture of kind of serving people and um being there for them rather than being authoritative over them uh somebody who recognizes humanity and understands struggle and dichotomy and a bit like the jews where they would hold things in tension and and would you know not necessarily have to agree on everything who um who does see free will as being really important that understands that god has given people free will and um uh, that that's really something you have to let people make their own way make their own choices and learn from their own mistakes and things i think it doesn't necessarily have to be a cult i just like to temper it with that but i'm sometimes a little bit uh, but as i say you make a good case what can you say oh dear i don't, I don't entirely disagree with uh, what you just said Sarah, the problem is what you're describing is a different church and a different Jesus. So you you might, in fact, have invented a church that's not a cult. But the, mm. the Jesus, uh, if, if, you're, if you're a Christian, a, a follower of Christ, he's, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Uh, once again, put that in the mouth of any, any pastor you know. You know, that doesn't quite sound the same way. Who Who is he to say, keep my commandments and make that a um, a, 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 um, a def- definition of love? That That's not love. Uh, so, yes, I think that it is possible to invent something uh, that, that may not be a cult. Uh, and I think, Sarah, that, that your heart is is uh pure and sweet and if atheists are looking for someone to create an atheist church i think that you could do it <laughs> but but it's not the church of the bible it's not the church if i may say of christ uh and so that would be that would be the difference yeah, I mean, I think I think you're right. I think it's easy to go down that. I just I do know of churches that are a little bit more like that. That they've I don't know if they sanitize Jesus. I mean, the deity of Jesus is a given. So the fact that he's saying keep my commandments and things like that um, is not a problem. That wouldn't be the kind of red flags of being a cult. But I, I do think those types of ter- churches do exist and maybe more veering towards humanitarian. I mean, it does sound like your version of your churches were were kind of really harsh <laughs> i'm sorry for um, you guys well, do, do you believe though let me let me just uh, probe that just a little bit further the, so imagine the the nicest church that that you can that's a christian church um you know we're not talking about jainism okay because they're even nicer um so just imagine the best christian church conjure that in your mind does this church believe 
that they were saved from their sins by the uh, blood sacrifice uh, of Jesus? I think they can hold it in um, a slight kind of agnostic posture, as in they don't really understand what it means, but that they are, um, I don't know how to describe it, but they are aware that there is a God that they fall short of, something like that. They but wouldn't do, necessarily... Do they believe that they were saved by a, let me just say it, a human sacrifice? No, I don't. Honestly, I, I have Christian friends who just who don't know what the atonement means, and um, they just know it's something important, but they don't know what it is. And but, but do you yeah, believe I'm that that is really a, off the, right? But do you believe that that's a critical? Is do you believe that that's a critical element of what it means to be a Christian? Because I actually think it is a critical element of what you, what it means to be a Christian. It is certainly possible to believe. I know a guy in the Church of Christ who does not believe that. Uh, you know, they're saved by uh, the sacrifice of Jesus. So I, 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 rec- I recognize that there are people like that, but the mainstream Christ- Christians would say, well, that person's not a Christian, um, you know, and that, that church is not a church. I think they're probably right about that, but it is, it is really hard to nail it down. So this, this might just fall into the category of, well, if you believe something other than that, you've, you've just got a different kind of church and a different Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, and you might have a better church and a better Jesus, but the, but the one in the Bible uh, uh, died for your sins. And so no matter how nice you are, if you fall into that category of believing that you are the beneficiary uh, of a uh, human sacrifice, you have not you're not only in a cult you have accepted one of the most recognizable tenets of a cult which is blood sacrifice yeah but don't some christians sort of think that the atonement isn't necessarily a a blood sacrifice i mean there's a different way of viewing it isn't there that uh it's the bridge it's the i don't know I've, i've honestly i'm not uh not recording all the different atonement theories at this stage, but um, there are there are quite a few. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, I am talking about really super progressive, almost universalist Christians that um, you know just believe that Jesus was a model to. I mean, I think they believe in the deity of Christ, but just that he's a model to, by which to live your life of kind of serving others. And I don't think that's a massive issue. I don't, I I don't know of any mainstream Christians who consider universalists Christians. No, true, true, true. So, and, and I did go to a UU church for a while. I, I like the universalists. I like them a lot. But they, <laughs> they're not Christian. <laughs> No, 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 so, no. We don't have so, them here. I don't. I think the French just think. Well, if you're not a Catholic, forget it. Don't worry about any of it. Just uh, why would you want to have to go to a universalist church? The worst thing about church was church for me. So the singing, the having to get together, the people I didn't really want to hang out with. Um, so the last thing is to reinvent it in a secular way. <laughs> Andrew, uh, you were trying to uh, get in there. Yeah. Well, just just for a second. Um, one of the things that we're sort of talking about here is, is it possible to practice Christianity, which I will just go ahead and say was a cult from the beginning? Uh, and I'll give a book reference before we go off air uh, that I think people should read in order to understand the, the history 
of Christianity and where it comes from. In fact, the the book is The Darkening Age. Uh, the author is uh, is Catherine Nixie, and she talks about uh, the fact that Christians were largely responsible for destroying a lot of our um, of our early architecture uh, of books of culture in the name of Jesus in in the in the early couple of centuries. So that's the Darkening Age by Catherine Nixie. I strongly encourage people to read the early history of Christianity. But the question that we were just talking about is. Is it possible to practice Christianity without practicing it as if you're a cult member, a la uh, David Koresh or a, or a Jim Jones follower or something of that nature? Um, maybe. I, I don't know. David, you and I talked a lot about this in the run-up to this show. And I think the question that I finally... Uh, want to ask is if you're practicing a benign, <clears throat> excuse me, if you're practicing a benign Christianity, <coughs> why, why call yourself a Christian? Because it is untrue to the history and practice of Christianity traditionally. I'm not saying that you can't hold the positive values that Christians espouse, like being good to each other and loving your neighbor as yourself. And we, we should all practice those values. But should you practice those values in the context of someone who wants you to uh, think of yourself as eternally broken, uh, who wants you to measure yourself uh, uh, against a perfect standard that not even you can understand? Uh, someone who would have you uh, separate yourself from your children if your children don't believe like you. Someone who says, um, you can't love anyone you want. You can only love another Christian. Don't be unequally yoked. Um, so the, the question is not whether you can practice benign Christianity. The question is, why call yourself a Christian knowing the history and practices of Christianity around the world, why not practice those values without it? So I, I think that's a great point, and I I should just let that live as a great point, but I, so par partly we're not talking to each other, we're talking to the people who are listening to us, and so um, sure. I, I have to say, uh, you can practice a benign religion, but I don't think you can practice a benign Christianity. It, you know, otherwise it's not Christianity; it's something else. And so I would, I would uh, echo: Why are you calling it Christianity uh, if you actually are rejecting the things that Christianity teaches? Jesus taught, "I am the way, the truth, and the light. No one comes to the Father." except by me now that that is christianity if that that is the exclusiveness of christianity now if you believe that you have a religion that is not exclusive great but now you're not you're not uh, being a christ follower at that point uh, jesus went to jerusalem to die for your sins now, is it possible to have a religion where you don't believe that you're, anyone needed to die for your sins? But let's let's just break this down. 
your your church leader, your guru says, I am going to have to die for you because you were in such a state that the only way for you to be saved is for me to die for you. That, that's the call. If you believe that Jesus said that, your religion is not benign. It is but Jesus n- didn't didn't actually say he was dying for our sins. That was um, then a layered on to it later wasn't it i mean he never said that he didn't know quite why he was going to be be killed that's really. not that's not how the christians present it so i'm no, not no, no, I'm, I'm not gonna have that's that that's not I'm not, what <laughs> jesus said i think jesus was um i don't think he and saying i'm the only way the truth and light um doesn't he mean he you could take it to mean um you know acting self sacrificially and um, serving others and uh, love and all those kind of things Uh, that's Mm. the way towards the ground of all being i mean you could go kind of full full new age on that and and say it that way so sure you can go bonhoeffer but once again that's not but he did say i came to bring the sinners to salvation yeah i mean so look what you're arguing um sarah is a is an interesting point of doctrine but at that point you're just arguing doctrine and you're arguing doctrine against what the vast majority of christians would tell you i agree yeah yeah. so if 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 we had joyce uh she's one of the um uh regular commenters on uh the unbelievable board if we had her on here or marvin uh or any of the the regulars who uh defend christianity uh, th- they would all agree with me. <laughs> they would. They would. Yeah. Would, yeah. So it. So yes. You. You. Like I said, you can form a type of religion that doesn't have any of those things in it. But it would not be a religion that Christians I, identify Christians would no, call Christianity. Okay. So yes, I would. I. I am concerned that to take any form of Christianity and try to make it benign so that you can live with it is still a problem. So once again, let's let's put this in the modern context because I think this is very helpful to understand. So if we take um, the Heaven's Gate cult, which by the way is no more because they're all dead, um, but if you if you take the Heaven's Gate cult and um, you know someone were to say that was such a beautiful religion. It was. It had so much potential, all except for the dying part, you know. So the, the shedding of these bodies, so they could get onto the Hellbop comet. I, but other than that, it was fantastic. What we should do is is resurrect that religion and make a benign version of the Heaven's Gate cult. You know, the Jim Jones cult was great, except for the Kool-Aid. You know, if we 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 could you know, maybe fix that up a little bit, why would you want to do that? Because what you what you've got is a terribly bad idea that you acknowledge is a terribly bad idea because you've got to fix it. So I I would I would have to echo Andrew's um, uh, point here. I mean, even if you could do that, I am not entirely sure at that point why we would and i i would say that that's what we're doing is just special pleading for christianity trying to trying to turn that into something good and useful and helpful and okay whereas we would not do that for any other religion that started the way christianity did well in mark two seventeen, um jesus i this is you know this is the red letter stuff i have i have not come to call the righteous but the sinners. 
Don't we need to go into the Greek and what sinners meant and did it mean the broken and the oh my this is what uh, <laughs> No we no. don't this is what <laughs> Ah, the French. Luke 5.22, I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. You you French used to be so much fun with the guillotines and all that, and and now you're just... Uh, (laughs) So, I I think I understand... Um, you know, at least where Christians get this sort of, you know, th- there's an implicit claim being made when you say, I didn't come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Right? I, I came to call the sinners to repentance. That's pretty, that's pretty bold stuff, right? But the sinners are the broken, and the broken, who needs a doctor when they're well? It's the people who need need the help again yeah this little evangelical evangelical in me will just not die and it keeps (laughs) popping up and coming up but then that's because i'm hanging out with the more progressive christians uh who with whom i've got no beef really you know or mike mahagi type guy you know science mike he's very kind Mm -hmm. of all encompassing Mm -hmm. and that kind of christian but i forget that that's not mainstream right and by the way i have no i have no beef with the more liberal heavens gators and the jim jonesers so you know once again they're (laughs) There are none because they're all dead. <laughs> but 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 presuming that you could have had a you know more liberal version of that, um, why not? I mean, look, I so just in case people think I'm picking on Christianity, I, I believe this is true of all religion. I feel the same way about Islam. Uh, I see no reason to have a, a more liberal, more acceptable uh, Islam, except you know maybe it would stop killing people. Um, but beyond that, that this is clearly a religion that is bad and, and people in subsequent generations have had to try to fix it just like they have, uh, all religion, religions, all religions have to be saved from, uh, their fundamentalist beginnings. But rather than saving religions from their fundamentalist beginnings, why don't we just recognize them as the cults they are? And give them up as a bad job. Why are we? Why do we keep trying to put uh, dress clothes on them and you know dress them up as something respectable? Well, I agree. If we if we were in another country and hadn't been exposed to Christianity, but unfortunately, doctrine <laughs> being indoctrinated and brainwashed runs deep, and it does. You have this little soft spot for trying to defend it and and thinking maybe it's still the truth. As I say, my most my main position is a bit agnostic on it. Also, um, I like to always give it the benefit of the doubt. Um, but this is why you talk good sense because you do boil it down to just you know what the mainstream think and. And some of the key tenets or beliefs and yeah when you put it in such stark terms it's pretty easy to start backing away and going okay no, my parents are still in this my parents are still in this my father and i are have embarked on a dialogue that we've never been able to embark on before and it's it's slow and we're getting there my father uh, you know as good of a relationship as i have with my family uh, he has no problem telling me that I am uh, on my way to burning in hell. Mm. Now, now, you would love my father. There are very few people on this earth nicer than my father. Uh, you know, people people meet him, they really like him. Uh, I am not my father, <laughs> so um, you've got to you've got to imagine someone a lot nicer 
than me. I think Andrew's met my father. He can attest to this. Of course I have. He's um, a good dude. Yeah, he's a good dude who who is convinced that his uh, son, who has never done anything terribly wrong in his life, is going to burn in hell because my father's in a cult. Mm. So, why, I mean, I, I think the question that, that I have at this point is talking about how to practice this benign Christianity, and I, I just, I can't help but ask the question. Out of the approximately 2.4 billion people on the planet that profess some kind of Christianity, how many of those people think that the other, presuming there's 7 billion of us, right? So just use that as a round number. How many of the 2.4 billion people actually think the other 4.6 billion of us are going to end up in hell? Or at no, least, yeah, or diners, it, you mean? Well, it, yeah, or well, at no, least I mean, some all, version all of hell. Yeah. Right. How it's, many of those 2.4 billion think that there's some kind of hell out there waiting for the other 4.6 billion of us? This is, I mean, this is a relatively central theme of Christianity that there is a a heaven and a hell, and I I know that that eternal conscious torment has lost some favor, and you know now now there's annihilationism, but it's because. Christianity <clears throat> has been forced to face that fundamental claim that 4.6 billion of us are going to be eternal fodder burning in hell to warm the floors of heaven. Which and, is exactly how the sermons used to be preached, by the way. That's that's not an exaggeration. Right. And, and so I, I practice your benign Christianity all you want. Think that you are. But if you're one of those people that believes that the other 4.6 billion of us are going to be tortured for eternity or cast into outer darkness or we're going to weep or gnash or that we're going to be annihilated, this is not a harmless claim. Yeah, and there, there's no version, there's no version of Christianity that can get away with calling me a sinner, as in, in, in their terms, one that offends the ground of all being one that offends the the ethical center of the universe you cannot get away with saying that about me uh without causing some harm and offense that that is not benign right i i am not a sinner and i do not care if i violate some principle of your imaginary god that does not in fact make me evil uh, worthy of the same eternal torment as Hitler. And if that is how you think of me, uh, and that I need some kind of salvation, you you can't get benign enough to justify that. No, you can't say, my worldview is that you are going to burn in hell because, and I don't care what particular Christian doctrine, evil. I don't care whether you're Church of Christ or or you're Baptist or 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 uh, some kind of Episcopalian. Or I don't care. Whatever you think, I'm going to burn in hell. You think I'm less than you because you think you've done something right to cause you to be worthy in some respect of eternal reward. I don't. I don't care whether you think you deserve it or not. You think. You've got it, 
And if you think you do, if you think the creator of the universe is smiling down on you in some way that allows you to get to heaven, and I have done something so heinous that I'm going to piss him off and he's going to send me to hell forever, that is not a harmless belief. You cannot look at me the same way that you would look at somebody else that you think is going to share heaven with you. This is not a benign claim, and it's the most central theme of Christianity. Right, and I will give the last word to Sarah here because uh, she's gentle and sweet, and our listeners will, <laughs> yeah, I believe everything I have to say about Well, okay. But let me just set you up, though, <laughs> badly, I didn't do by, it, Sarah. by saying... God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and whosoever believes in him will not perish. I don't actually care how the rest of it ends because even in this passage that is supposed to be the epitome of of love is telling me that if I don't have the capacity to believe in this story that I am going to perish in some horrible way. Okay, I got to give my two verses. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. Okay, that's my setup. I can't argue with that. This is evangelical Christianity at its best, absolutely. That's what I do. I've come to reject um, because I just think it is too exclusive. It is too cult-like. There isn't enough evidence for it for people to make really properly informed decisions. So, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm with you on that. I guess... I always see it from the more kind of the Mike Mahagi, the Rob Bells, the kind of that progressive version of Christianity where it's a lovely Jesus. It's all about love and becoming one, which is actually more Eastern and 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 woo woo and all that stuff. So, yeah, I, I mean, you've got me there. Right? That's why I I say I can't believe that. But in terms of the overall, maybe is there something more? Is there a centre centre of love in the universe type of thing? I'm agnostic. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I can't I can't argue with there with you there. Can I just say, just for the record, for the JWs out there in France, we have declassed them as a sect. They are no longer. They are no longer. They won in court. They are not considered a sect um, because I have had them at the door. They have um, tried to uh, to talk to me, and uh, uh, and I've uh, actually they give up on me after a, a few meetings. Um, I take their leaflets and I then make notes about it, and talk to them back, and they're they're the ones who run away, not me. So, um, but they're so not. Just it's, it's official. The I Jehovah's Witnesses are not a cult in France. Exactly. Come and practice this freely over here what what does it take how how do you get recognized as a as a cult? Do you, like do you have to have a body count you, what if i you want know? it to be a cult could i <laughs> oh, no, 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 I'm i think they've been they've been um excused from saying that they ostracize members and that there's undue psychological pressure and that they are just a religious gathering so they've just been they've been declassed as a so, cult in other words they don't apply any more psychological pressure than any other mainstream religion no. you understand just, that the idea of shunning of uh, withdrawing from uh, s- brothers and sisters who are in sin is something taught by Jesus. I mean, you don't even have to get to Paul to to get to shunning. 
So, really? You really? That as well? Yes. Oh, I like nice Jesus. I'm sorry. Nice Jesus was good. He teaches to shun other people. Yes. This I thought he was welcoming to all. No. I really didn't know my theology, did I? I mean, our cult no. was very What's, light on theology and very good on dancing and tongues. <laughs> I like okay, the dancing. So here's, here's, a, here's a little more of, of Jesus. Uh, I, I didn't come to call the righteous, but the sinners, I, I will separate father and son, daughter, uh, husband and wife. Goats. Um, he didn't like goats. I, yeah, no, they were the, they were bad. In 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 all yeah. fairness, goats are nasty creatures. Right. Yeah. He supposedly has a uh, he through the holy the holy spirit with the full sanctioning of of uh, of God and, and 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 you know don't cast your pearls before swine. Uh, you know if you if you're in a town and they don't believe what you have to you know leave the town, dust off the uh, knock the dust off your feet and go. He was absolutely believed in shunning. I, by the way, I feel so bad uh, that we are going to end this podcast without talking about one of the cult-like features that I had planned to talk about, but it wasn't in my notes, so we didn't get to talk about it. It's it's the um, indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So, uh, Sarah, are are you familiar with the uh, doctrine of um, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? Of course, our church did it properly. Right. I've I've been in meetings when they have done a fake gun and shot it at each other and somebody else has fallen over in the Holy Spirit. Yes, okay. (laughs) Yeah, you did it right. That's okay, so I've not been that slain one. in the Holy Spirit. I've been murdered. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, they, they would shoot it at it because it was it was a Toronto thing. You know, we had to make an allowance for that. There's a lot of a lot of crazy stuff going on. Um, but yeah, yeah, we okay, used to so shoot the Holy Spirit at each other. I love not me that. personally. I uh, <laughs> I was backing away at this point. But here's but here's the thing. Never mind how you infuse the Holy Spirit into someone. It is a very biblical concept that you, uh, when you become a Christian, uh, receive the Holy Spirit in in a very real way, and you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. I just wanted to make the point, uh, again, take this out of the context that you're used to hearing. Uh, Take it out of the Christian context. Take it out of the words of Jesus and the apostles. If some other religion said that, you know, because, you know, when you join this religion, a powerful uh, ghost will enter your body and guide you uh, and and lead you through life, you, your first thought, because of your Christian influence, would probably be, oh, clearly this is demonic. These people are are saying, uh, they're they're admitting it outright that that you're going to be infested by this demonic spirit. But when it's Christianity, it's just a Tuesday. I mean, that's... (laughs) How? It comes under this this special pleading, this subtle cloak of respectability. That's what I say. It just it comes in slowly that way, and uh, and it becomes perfectly normal. Totally, yeah. it's, it's just another Tuesday. So look, I I am going to uh, allow the listeners to go to the bathroom because I'm sure that they have to as badly as I do, and uh, we will take a seven day break or however long it takes before we do another program thanks so much for uh, everyone for stopping by thank you sarah thank you uh andrew for the 
conversation. Uh, thank you, audience, for considering this. Um, this is this is a serious matter, uh, I think. And so, while we have found things to laugh at, I would encourage you to take stock. Um, are you in a cult? You don't have to agree with me. You don't have to go as far as I do. But ask the question: What would it mean to be in a cult? And the things that you take for just another Tuesday, would you consider those cult-like behaviors if it was someone else? Is the only thing that saves Christianity from being a cult the fact that you believe that Jesus is God? Give it some thought. And um, in the meantime, uh, farewell, and I will leave it to the others to say their farewells. Uh, To join David's cult, where do we write to? I've got to finish inventing it yet. I mean, it's a very nice idea. Exactly. You want a bit of. You want a bit. You want to walk around in those white robes. Yeah. But, I, but I want to do it right. I don't want to just say something half baked and, and then lose any potential followers. So there will be some money so involved. You don't want to be a cult. No, well, no. There will be no Kool Aid. Um, but there there will be regular donations. Um, something like tithing, but worse. And do we tithe in olives? I know you like olives. No. No, we do not. There are some dire consequences for tithing and if olives. We, okay, I can't be in the cult. I do like olives, so yeah, um, I'm out. That's not going to work. Uh, cheers. <clears throat> yeah, do not, do not offer me an olive branch. I will not take that well. <laughs> My last thought uh, is this. If you belong to a religion that asks you to believe things on faith that cannot be otherwise verified in order to perform acts that would otherwise be considered harmful you are in a cult please walk away thanks for listening thank you bye